Today's episode is the second part of our NHS special pensions podcast. So if you haven't listened to week one, it goes through the basics of the different pension schemes. And it's essential to understand that because without that knowledge, it's going to be really difficult to follow today. So if you haven't listened to last week's, I definitely recommend you do that. And then on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the public service pension scheme consultation or otherwise known as the McLeod and Sargent case, which is a recent legal case uh, which has implications for pension holders. It's a really complex subject. Rachel is one of the very best at uh, explaining this and hopefully this is useful to you as we continue on our mission to educate the profession to make better financial decisions. One thing I need to say again uh, from last week's episode, all of the information here is from information purposes only and does not represent advice or guidance. Rachel is a regulated individual by the FCA, very tight regulations, rightly so. And so all of the information here is just for information only. Right, let's get into the today's episode. And once again, thank you for the support and everybody who's sharing these episodes with their friends. Uh, we're all in this together. And as you're about to see, it is hideously complicated. But if we all work together, we can get through it. Thanks for the support, guys. Welcome to the Medics Money Podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins, and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Public Service Pension Scheme consultation is and why it matters for NHS pension holders or indeed public service pension holders? Okay, so when the government introduced the 2015 scheme, what they did was they included within that something called transitional protection. And if a member was between 10 to 13 and a half years away from retirement, they were perceived to have, ha to have less time to adjust to these changes. Now, if we will look back at the last episode where we're talking about the different schemes, the 2015 scheme pushed members to work longer. So people weren't able to retire at 60. They were being made to retire at state pension age. Okay. So what happened was a group of judges and firefighters got together to say, this isn't fair. And the Court of Appeal basically ruled that the government had dis discriminated against younger judges on the grounds of age and found in favour of a group of firefighters on the same issue. So this is now something that is um, basically has set a precedent and now is uh, applicable to all public sector schemes. So the entitlement to the compensation is dependent upon how many years to retirement a person was as at the 31st of March 2012. So if we, we split this into three groups, so we've got group one, um, who were the closest to their retirement age between 10 and 13 and a half years, they qualify for compensation. Group two were members who were outside of those timescales, they qualify for compensation, but not new joiners who came in post after the 31st of March 2012, okay? So... The, there is something which is called the remedy period. So what the government have to do is they have to compensate or they have to remedy for the age discrimination 
um, between a period from 2015 to 2022. That is the period for, for this remedy, if you like. So what the government intend to do is, well, they're consulting on views as to whether they should offer either an immediate choice exercise or what is known as a deferred choice underpin or a DCU. Okay. An immediate choice exercise would be a permanent and irrevocable decision. Okay. So what members would be asked to do, probably from 22, 23 tax years onwards, is to make an immediate choice as to whether they want their service, so the pension that they've built between that date, between the remedy period, to be returned to what is known as the legacy scheme. And in this context, context, the legacy scheme is the 1995 and the 2008 section. Or do they want to retain their benefits in the reformed scheme? Okay, so that would be an immediate choice which members would make immediately. The issue of making an immediate choice is that you do not know what your future career or how that service pattern, what you don't know your future service pattern. So the decisions you make immediately may or may not benefit you in the future. Okay. Now, the deferred choice underpin, the DCU option, kind of does what it says on the tin. It defers your choice to retirement. So at retirement, you would be presented, hopefully, with two pension estimates, let's just say, one on the legacy scheme, the other with the 2015 scheme. And it, it would obviously have the values which would be based upon your service pattern. And it would be obviously known facts. You would be fully informed at that point. Now, what you kind of don't have with deferred choice is you don't really have clarity. So for each year, it's going to be really interesting how the scheme will deal with this because the legacy schemes will close in 2022. So all future service will be in your reformed scheme. Okay. Now, depending on where people are in their careers, in some cases, there'll be members who may be better off in the reformed who might have a higher pension and there are those that may not and they might want to be in the 1995 section but the problem with the 1995 scheme is it's 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 grotesquely nuanced so it's very very difficult to make a decision because there is so much to each scheme that different members will place values on different things which is why the scheme don't want to make the decision for you they want the members to make the decision. So I guess with the deferred option, you don't have clarity over the rest of your career, but what you do have is you have the facts and you are presented with the information, let's just say. With immediate choice, it's kind of everything's rectified and you don't need to worry about it again, but it may or may not pay off your choice. The issue that I foresee with deferred choice underpin is that the year prior to your, let's just say, your retirement and making your decision, your pension might be worth, I don't know, let's just say £60,000. And then 
if you make a decision, let's just say that results in a higher pension of 80,000, I'm just plucking numbers out thin hair, thin air to make a point, then there's a huge growth over that final year, which can affect your annual allowance position. Now, Within the consultation docu- document, what the government proposes to do is to somehow unpick the annual allowance growth for the remedy period and take that out of the final annual allowance charge. But how that you will be able to extract a value, a monetary value from 15, 20 years ago you would need to revalue it in today's money in order to make sure that the proportions are still the same when you're extracting a final value. Now, what they've said is, if anybody's overpaid any tax, they will refund that. They will refund that back to the member. The issue is that if it results in a higher pension, then they can only collect on a four-year statutory time limit. Okay, so they they can only collect annual allowance charges for the current year and the preceding four years. Now, I'm going to, we need to then back up again. During the deferred choice underpin, benefits will be treated as returning to the legacy schemes. Okay, so some members may qualify during that period of time for a tax rebate because they're deferring their decision. So, but then they may opt for reform scheme benefits at retirement age. How that will be dealt with, if somebody's had a tax rebate then, but then go back into a scheme that, that maybe generates a higher pension and therefore a higher annual allowance charge. As, as far as the consultation reads, the four-year statutory time limit would still apply. So they would have had a rebate, but they wouldn't be necessarily seeking that that taxation I think one of the views was you know what did we as pension specialists and members what did people feel about that so one of the reasons why it was important to feedback on the consultation is to raise issues like this to just make sure that people feel fully compensated you know for the technicalities of of taxation I mean so you know an already complex situation has Mm. just got hideously more complex with it sounds like lots lots of unresolved issues for the scheme Mm. and that was a great summary of things to think about between the immediate choice exercise and deferred choice underpin i mean Mm. if doctors are listening to this now and with their head in their hands because it's an already complex scheme uh, and with the tax implications as well has got more complex what sort of simple things do all doctors need to do right now to prepare for this they're going to have to keep their tax documents. So what we explained on the last podcast, which was to best practice and to, to keep all your month 12 pay slips, keep all your self-assessments, your P60s, keep your tax information because you might need it in 15, 20, 30 years time. Uh, well, not 30 years time because obviously it doesn't affect the new joins. But you, you see what I'm saying here. Yep. In the future, you might need to refer back to that. And yep. if have that information you're not really going to help yourself it'll just further complicate the issue yeah and so keep all your paperwork that we talked about last time Mm -hmm. and then the the government are still sort of thinking the consultation has just closed right last week 
And so hopefully everyone submitted something. I know you've uh, submitted some feedback mm. as well, Rachel. I submitted some yeah. feedback. So retain all your records. I mean, just thinking ahead a bit, given that there's lots and lots of unknowns still and a tremendous amount of issues to iron out here, what could it possibly mean, these changes, for active members of the scheme? One of the issues that I find kind of deeply concerning for some is a matter with ill health retirement. Because ill health retirement, the judgments can differ depending on what scheme you're in. So an ill health retirement, so in an, let's just say a tier two. So there are two tiers to ill health retirement. So tier one is where you're entitled to receive a pension, but there is no enhancement. So it's the pension that you banked without any actuarial reduction. A tier two pension, which is an enhanced pension, is based upon, dependent upon what section of the scheme that you're in, it's based on a proportion of your prospective service. So if we back up a second and we look at a 1995 scheme, your prospective service could be to age 60, in which case your enhanced pension, you know, might be lower than, say, applying for an enhanced pension with the under the reform scheme, the 2015 scheme, which has a state pension age. So that's an issue. The other issue is that depending on what pension you qualify for, so the TU2 would have to be, you know, not being able to return to your, your occupation ever again. So under that, there might be, it could be your ill health retirement could be accepted under one scheme and declined on another because the chances of returning to to work could be far greater on a scheme with an extended retirement age that really will affect those. And also for those who have already retired or are actually going through an ill health retirement process, the government will have to remedy and provide those members with a choice too. And opting for a higher pension could result in having to make good on income tax adjustments. So if obviously if it results in a lower pension and you've overpaid tax, the government will will compensate for that. But is it really fair on the grounds of age discrimination if you're presented with a choice that results in a higher income tax duty? Should you really have to pay that? Because the way that I see it is, I guess, that... For some people, that unpaid income tax could run into tens of thousands of pounds, which could create a situation where someone actually can't afford to opt for the higher pension. But in the consultation document, they say, oh, well, we'll offer them a repayment plan. But then you've got to factor in the monthly payments under a repayment plan, which may or may not be affordable. And this is another issue for pensioners. So, how do you remedy? Somebody receiving, I don't know, £150,000 tax-free cash. That money could have been spent. So how do you remedy for that? So one of the the proposals uh, for pensioners is that they may not be able to forego their tax-free cash or they might have to just have a revalued commuted pension under a reformed 2015 scheme. But then they might be offered this lovely repayment plan and, you know, kind of make themselves impoverished in the process of trying to, pursue, for a few years, of trying to provide themselves with a, like, pursue a higher pension. 
So this is this is really difficult. It's very complicated because it means this consultation means different things to different people. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that really no no two cases are going to be alike here, and it's going to be a case of yeah. uh, individual situations, individual life choices when mm-hmm. you want to retire, uh, etc. Yeah. I mean that point that you've made about pensioners is a, is an excellent one. Uh, absolutely. Do we should we talk about contingent decisions a bit as well? Yeah, so that's another <laughs> <laughs> another can of worms to open late in the podcast for you. Sorry. So okay, so a lot of members of Hokey have done what is called a Hokey Cokey. The Hokey and the pension scheme sounds fun. What is the Hokey Cokey? Tell me more. Yeah. So this is where some people have chosen in order to avoid paying annual allowance charges that they um, are going to opt out for periods of time within the pension scheme. Now, some of those members have made a contingent decision based upon pension tax. How How does the government remedy that? Then also, if you look back, you think back to choice exercise one and two, there were previous choice exercises introduced when the government you know, transition people into the 2015 scheme. So members were provided with a choice as to whether they wanted to retain their benefits in the legacy, in the 1995 section or move it to 2008. Now, you're going to have to then un- unpick all the way through this because that's a contingent decision too about whether these people made the right choice back then to move their benefits because, you know, how far how far do we kind of take this back so you you can keep on kind of going one of the other kind of sections of the consultation deals with voluntary contributions so additional pension and there is also an arrangement called an ERBO agreement which is an an early retirement reduction buyout and this is where members can pay an increased pension contribution the increase in pension contributions does not link or generate any growth in terms of annual allowance charges, okay? What you are essentially doing with an herbal agreement is you are buying yourself out of the actuarial reduction so that you can retire at, say, 65, okay? What what do they do with these people? So what they've said is, oh, well, that's fine because we can remedy that. We, We can just you know, we we can apply the correct uh, revaluation or we can just repay it back to the member, but it would be a taxable cash sum. However, we know that the reformed scheme is that there's, whilst there will be final salary linking in place for the legacy schemes beyond 2022, there will be no further service going back into that scheme anyway. So from, so you could have a situation where Somebody has refunded their herbal agreement, but then has to take one back out because they, they want to return the service to 995 for whatever reason. And then in 2022-23, they have to pick up again another herbal agreement over a shorter pit space of time, which might be more expensive, which is a bit which is just crazy. I mean, how they're gonna remedy that, I have no idea. So I think I guess this is part of this con- consultation. So yeah, there's a there's a lot to think about in that sense. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, uh, already hideously complex, grotesquely complex, I think you called it, which was um, nice. Um, it's got more complicated and it's very difficult to to sort of see what's going to happen here. So uh, we talked a bit about what doctors need to do uh, in the here and now. Would it be useful to give what what I see occasionally online is everybody says, oh, great, we're going back to the 1995 scheme because that's a better pension. Mm. Do you want to elaborate a bit about why it's definitely not that simple? I think it's not that simple because, generally speaking, there is a trend here, okay? And if we go back to look at the accrual rates of 1995, the 2008 and the 2015 scheme, the highest rate of accrual is your 154th, which is your 2015 scheme, okay? Now, this, I have to say, I've got to put a disclaimer on this, that this is not including MHO special classes, okay, because they they can retire from 55 onwards. And that is a very, very important feature, very special feature. So if we just look at it, just kind of broadly speaking, the 2015 scheme has a higher accrual rate. And if and you've got to give up pension for a lump sum. So if you if the chances are that you are going to work into your late 60s and given the fact that this scheme contains late retirement factors you can often often end up with the highest pension which is available in the 2015 scheme now the other thing that we need to factor in here is that some schemes favor different service patterns okay So the 1995 section, because it's the best of the last three years, it favours somebody with an upward trending who's kind of progressing through the career scales and will always finish on their highest pensionable pay at retirement. But what if somebody doesn't do that? What about if somebody decides to start winding down because they're just sick and they want more work-life balance? Then you end up in this reverse situation. Now, the 1995 scheme is nuanced because there is something in that called peer protection, but peer protection is only for the over 55s. And the, the reduction in, in pensionable pay has got to be something that they didn't have control over. Okay. So, so yes, there are things to protect and preserve pensionable pay figures, but this is where service patterns and future service patterns can really work for or against you in schemes like that. And this is why it's really important that, that kind of people take um, good accountancy and financial advice, because this is part of your retirement planning. And if we, if we take, for example, somebody who is not married and doesn't have any children, they may favour a 2015 scheme over a 1995 because they're getting a higher pension. Some people don't care about tax-free cash. But then if we also back up a little bit and we look at things like lifetime allowance tax, under a 1995 pension where, so the lifetime allowance the charge is based upon 20 times the pension plus the tax-free cash. So with the 2015 scheme, you know, you're looking at 20 times the highest pension and potentially no tax-free cash versus a lower accrual rate, 
20, at 20 times plus an amount of tax-free cash. So you can end up with different levels of lifetime allowance charges too. So each case is unique. And all I would say as well is be very careful about making a judgment based upon tax rebates. Because generally speaking, when there's a tax rebate, it means your pension's been overvalued. And I don't really see that anybody's going to be complaining about retiring on the highest pension, even when we factor in the tax charges, sometimes the net is still higher than uh, yeah. you know lower pension accrual. So it's so important that people kind of get a handle on this as soon as they can. And I know it's really complex, but if you've got a good team of people around you, they will support you in your decision-making process. Absolutely. I think if anything, we're just reinforcing today the value of specialist advice, you know, advisors that specialize in this. And that's why me and Ed started Medics Money, which is great. But I think it's great to clarify that because I see a lot of chatter online that the 95 scheme is better than the 2015. And I think your answer to that question was excellent. And I've got to stress again, this is for information only. None of this is guidance. Everybody's situation is different. So if you, you know, you, you may need to get advice. And unfortunately, most likely you're going to need advice on this situation because it's so complex. Can I just add just one last thing to that? There are so many great features about each scheme. Each scheme it can complement different people in so many different ways. And that is why there is no default position. So each case is unique. Yeah. I mean, even with all this complexity and all the recent changes, the, the NHS pension is still, for the vast majority of people, uh, a good deal. Uh, would you swap your private pension for a hypothetical NHS pension, Rachel? No, I've I've told my husband to completely max out on everything that we can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's it's. I would love. To, I've I've often asked for honorary membership because I've I work on it that that many times. <laughs> always working on the NHS pension scheme every day of my life. <laughs> I don't have honorary membership yet, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So that what you know for all of it, all of its problems, it's still in the vast majority of cases a great deal and definitely not to be something given up without taking specialist advice. Okay. Thanks for outlining those issues, Rachel. There's going to be a lot more coming uh, from us on this issue as the situation evolves. There's talk that we might be doing another pensions webinar. Last time we had 955 doctors on it live. Uh, there's talk that Rachel might be joining us on a pensions webinar. So uh, now it's out in public. The pressure's on, Rachel, and we look forward mm -hmm. to seeing you there. Thank you so much for your time today and taking the time to educate Medics Money podcast listeners. Uh, we'll drop Rachel's contact details in the show notes below. Uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for people listening to this and just thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds horrendous? Yeah. Don't rush into anything don't knee-jerk react. Good record keeping. And if you're not sure, just ask. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And it was great to catch up with you and uh, hopefully see you on a webinar or another podcast very soon. Very soon. Thank Take you. Care.